You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. going on guys welcome to another episode of pure pleasure with dewey halpas i am dewey your host with the most bringing you more great content week after week this week we have a good good buddy of mine from long long ago vadim taver from a life once lost from this day forward from now poison the well and now he is also a solo artist releasing his first uh solo record and it's incredible um, so you guys need to go right now. Well, finish the episode first, but once you do go check out his solo record under Vadim Taver on Spotify, it's incredible, incredible music. And I learned so much about Vadim that I did not know before on this episode, which is shocking, um, because I thought I knew him pretty well, but, uh, I, I did not, uh, his career choices, uh, his educational prowess, his, his, uh, just his intelligence level is beyond what I could have ever comprehended, um, his, his grasp of, of chess and strategy. And, and, uh, it's just, it's, it's superhuman and I'm so blown away by it. Um, this conversation was really, really interesting going down those roads. So, uh, I think you guys are really going to like this one with Vadim and, uh, learn a lot about him aside from the music stuff, which I think is fascinating. So, well, let's get some business out of the way and we will jump into the episode. So peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. Peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me with guest ideas or questions or comments. We also have the Peer Pleasure Podcast Facebook group, the Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle. We are also on YouTube at the Peer Pleasure Podcast, as well as the premium service, which is peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm, where you get the old videos of the episodes, you get the 
past cast as well as the ad-free feed. So if you want to support the show, that's the best way to do it. And you don't have to listen to any of the ads because we need those to keep the lights on. Um, but that's a way around it. So, uh, man, I want to get into this one, guys. I was so fascinated by this episode. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So, so let's jump into this episode with my good friend, Vadim Tabor. Okay, check, check, check. Sweet. Sound fantastic. How's this going? Is this going? Is this too loud? No. Do I have it too hot? The mic? No. I've got a. Uh, I've got you on my end here. Uh, I can adjust anything. Yeah, it's it sounds good. All right. Awesome. Well, we're all set to go, man. Super easy, my friend. Been doing this a long time, so it's just been all different know, kinds of microphones I, I... and everything else. <laughs> Hell yes. Yeah. Almost seven years. That's amazing, thing. man. That's so cool. Crazy. That's so freaking cool. Um, who's been your favorite guest? Man, that's a tough question. Uh, All right, top three. Uh, top three, Ross Robinson. That was that was one of the most like personally rewarding episodes I've done, where I just like laid on the floor afterwards, just kind of contemplating what just happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Uh, Yvette Young from Covet is one of my favorite human beings. She's been on five times. Um, so she's definitely in the top three, man. I, and then probably Chino. Chino's been fantastic. Uh, came on as a fan of the podcast before we ever met. And then that's how we met. And then, uh, he's been just awesome. Listens to almost every episode, I think. And, and, uh, just been a good, a good friend. And, and, um, all through the podcast that was it it wasn't through music it was just through the podcast so um that's yeah. really cool 
be. I know he did. Like I, I don't. I've never met him before, but I have some friends who, uh, who, who have been friends with him mm-hmm. or like had met him through playing shows with Deftones and whatnot, and they always said he was super cool. Like I think Anthony, uh, had him on one of his records, Anthony Green, uh-huh. one of his solo records. So I think he knows him. I know Cir- Circa's done some shows with him. Poison yeah. Well did some shows with with Deftones too, but I don't know if they have any sort of like relationship with uh with him or the band personally after those shows yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure yeah he, he and i have talked about uh tony a, a, a quite a bit um and uh i'm tony. actually gonna see tony on the third 14th sound sounds animals fighting is, are, is coming through town and so rich and and matt and and steve and everybody like uh it's gonna be awesome we're gonna go hang Right after work, they're playing four blocks from my job site, so we're gonna go hang uh, most of the afternoon and see the show. It's gonna be great. Stoked! Oh, that's awesome. I haven't seen Tony that's in really the flesh cool. in a long time, and and uh, Rich or you for that matter. I haven't seen you in in uh... dude. Seriously, when was the last time you and I saw each? Was it that tour in New York City when I we think bailed? It was... Like, well, uh, we didn't bail, um... but the end of the tour, the Radio Takeover tour. No, didn't you play? Didn't you play with Portugal the man I, towards the beginning of the of the band? When mm. were you on the tour that Circus Survived no, did with them? And I wasn't. Okay. I was on the Poison Well tour, okay. Paul Troy tour. Um, I don't think you and I have seen each other since that. I'm trying to remember. I don't even remember the name. We had like breakfast at a restaurant in New York before we all split ways. So the tour was over. And then I came down to California, went to the Rev office, but you were off that day. Um, you came up to Portland for a wedding, and I wasn't able to get away to grab breakfast. Yeah, yeah, it's That's just for been Collins. like for Colin's wedding. Yeah, Colin's wedding, and and so it's been a very long time, twenty years. Well, it's good to see you, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lifetime of a twenty-year-old has passed. Seriously, yeah, insane, it's pretty crazy. Dude, okay. So, Someone, so I had I had lunch with a friend today, and she's like, she's like, so how do you feel? Because my birthday was like three days ago, uh-huh. and she's like, how do you feel being old? I'm like, what the fuck kind of question is that? Like, <laughs> like that was like your first question. It's like I don't feel old, you know. I mean, a part of that is like, I guess because I don't have kids, so yeah. like, I, you know that that instantly kind of like ages you. I think. Oh god, <laughs> kids, kids age you so fast. Um, yeah, and I was like, I don't know. I still just like hang out and do my thing, and yeah. Dude, I guess it can't be that old. So, well, happy belated birthday. How how old are you now? Thank you. 41? 41. Okay, I'll be 41 in May. So, we're yeah, we're real close. Yeah. Okay. Very um, close. Yeah. Dude, okay. So, you and I met uh Radio Takeover Tour. It was this day forward which you were playing in at the time. I was in Anatomy of a Ghost. That was with Was that with Bear versus Shark? Hang on one second. Okay. Second, sorry. <laughs> uh oh. Yes, yes, it was. I don't know if you could. Haste. Kind of hard to see because of the glare. Yeah. Haste. But, bear versus uh, yeah, shark. Have, and got, you got it. Yeah, I have it hanging. I couldn't remember where. It's it was somewhere in my house. I knew I had it hanging somewhere. <laughs> Tour manager Colin, uh, Nick Storch, yep. like crowned him um tour manager 
<laughs> yeah. He hated he that. Needed so someone much. to do the job. Okay. Well, yeah, he was he was kind of the business guy. Oh. I have so many memories of that tour. Uh the first show was at Chrome in Jersey. And that's the first time we played Jersey. This was our first East Coast tour. So like we got out of the van and all of a sudden everyone was saying awesome with that accent. And I'd never heard it before, like in the flesh. And but everyone was saying it like I got into like a alien land in New Jersey. And uh, I missed Bear versus Shark that night, but I was able to watch you guys. And uh, man, so many good memories of that tour. I think we played with like Alexis on Fire randomly at one show on that tour. Um, I remember, man. Okay, there's it's it's all flooding back in my mind. It's all hitting at the same time. Um, yeah, but what a fun tour, man! That was so cool to be on the East Coast for the first time with good people like you guys. Like you guys were such an interesting band. Everyone was so different in that band this day forward. Like, like Mike and Gary were so different from each other, like personality wise. Like Gary was like just like always on like having a blast dude and then like mike was super like introspective and like super um just super um uh what's the word i'm looking for just very thoughtful and then brennan was always just super like sarcastic and you were so sweet and calm was just trying to survive like it was it was so good so good. that's it in a nutshell right there yeah, yeah. Colin it or uh, gary and mike definitely have a, a lot of similarities like the shaws have a way about them mm-hmm. everybody who's met the shaws you know they all have like sort of like a, a connecting thread yeah between them which is you know slightly slightly different than your average person but they're all so awesome in their own way yeah. you know like you said there are they do have differences of course but there's definitely like a shaw factor <laughs> we, we used to call uh gary and mike we used to say that they had we called it the Shaw delay factor because no matter what time you, you plan to do something, it was always going to be like an extra half hour because of them. Yeah. You know, they should move to California. I mean, that's the way here for sure. everybody, except, except like East coasters mm-hmm. <laughs> when they come out here, like, why isn't anyone here on fucking time for anything? <laughs> Traffic, man. <laughs> it's the Californians. That, that yeah, skit well, is so that's accurate. The excuse. <laughs> that's the excuse. Uh, I mean, look, I have to be on time for work. Uh-huh. I can't be late to the, the job that I have. I teach. Um, and so like I'm responsible for groups of students. So like you have to plan that stuff out in advance. You know, you have to look at Google Maps and look at the traffic conditions. You know, well, I guess you didn't have Google Maps before. But no. nowadays, when it tells you what an ETA is, you can you know, you can always look if you want to be on time and, and like at least get close to the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you don't really have much of an excuse besides like <laughs> whatever right? <laughs> I was doing other stuff. <laughs> what are you teaching? Um, so I teach a lot of stuff. Uh, my main job is I teach chess. I do. I've been doing it for a little over ten years, and I do. It's a, it's a, a company that I work for called Academic Chess, uh-huh. and we just merged with another company called Strategic Kids. And basically, I run uh, after school. Sometimes it's during school too. Uh, chess classes. So they they range anywhere between fifty minutes to an hour and a half. And sometimes, uh, like on a day like today, I had two schools on a day like yesterday at three schools. So I literally do like an hour lesson, hop in my car, go to another school, do another hour lesson, and then and then so on. And then I also do private tutoring. And with the private tutoring, I, I have like a wide range of subjects. I think um, 
I, I'm a, well, I'm available for 15 subjects, but some of them I haven't tutored in a long time. So uh, the stuff is, you know, like not entirely in my head. So like if I get a student for something I haven't done in a while, I got to go back and do a refresher. And I have a binder that I made of like all of the classes that I've previously taken that I've tutored to go back and reference, you know, like, cause really that's all it is. Like they tell you that when you, when you go to a job, you don't have to remember everything that you've learned in school because it's impossible. Right. But what you do need to know is how to go back and find and reference the things. So that's kind of like the most important thing, because once you go back and you look at it, then you can refresh yourself and then you can, you can be like, okay, oh yeah, that's right. That's how I did this or, Mm -hmm. and so on. So, yeah, so I do, um, you know, about, about 10 different math disciplines, algebra, geometry, trig, calculus, you know, the standard stuff. I do some upper division stuff, but usually by the time you get to Calc three, and linear algebra and differential equations that which is mostly like specialized physics and engineering students yeah. and math majors um most of the time they don't really need tutoring for that they're already kind of on their way mm-hmm. so most of my math students are like in the algebra trig and calculus range and then i'll also do like first year second year physics um i've done like chemistry and stuff too but like it's been a while since i've done chemistry stuff so that stuff is still <laughs> it's a little bit uh, I forgot a lot, I should say. <laughs> so you're, so yeah, those are my main jobs. And really then I property manage. Um, no, no, no. I mean, like I, you know, these these are these are these are subjects that you, you know you, you you take in in high school and first couple of years of college. So it's like you know, I don't, I wouldn't say it's like genius level stuff. I want to say Veek was telling me when I was at Rev uh, for that afternoon how intelligent you were and how. Like, cause I didn't know you in that aspect of like your scholastic achievements and things like that. I knew you in music and we never talked about that stuff back then. We were kids when we saw each other last. So, but she was mentioning like all the stuff like you were doing like with academics and stuff, I want to say. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, like he's really smart. I was like, well, of course. But like, I had no idea, like, you know, stuff you're talking, just talking about casually with me now, like I had to go. I went to college and then like, I think all call like kind of what you're saying, but college mostly what it teaches you how to research things on your own and finances on your own, uh, I think is a big part of it. But, um, yep. I had to go just to become a commercial plumber. Like I had to go to college and like do another algebra course just to get the prerequisites for even applying at the union. And that was a struggle for me. So, like, when you're talking about trigonometry and calculus and stuff, my whole brain is just like, what? You know, like, uh, so, anyways, that was a whole side note. But, like, when – is there a point – and I've, this just popped in my head. is There's a point where math just becomes theories, right? Like, it, like ideas, like, where you're testing – like it goes beyond, like you finish math, I guess it can't ever be finished, but isn't there a point where it goes beyond what's there and it's basically just theoretical math? Like when you get past all those big, um, uh, like calculus, trigonometry, uh, statistics, like, isn't there something called like, uh, like something beyond that, that's literally just like testing theories or am I way off on this? not no, to make no, this no, all about math. Off. You're not way off. Um so no, it's fine. Um so there's two there's two separate things. So there's there's theoretical physics, okay. which is when you when you predict something 
that should happen or maybe that does happen in the universe that we observe and you try to come to a uh, a, a theory or an explanation you know closest to our understanding of what that is mm-hmm. and sometimes you know we can we can uh, we can view something we can have the data that explains something but we don't have the knowledge of of why that is so physics is like you know the laws of nature mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why things happen uh and and how they happen uh with math a lot of times there are um there are theories in math that we don't have proofs for uh, and, and and some of them are like fairly simple things, but you have to have a an actual mathematical proof. So whether that's like a one page thing or something that's like a hundred pages, you have to actually show it in the mathematical language. And they have prizes that they give out um, for some of these things, like where like you you know you have a PhD student, for example, and they get they get some kind of question that's never really been formally uh, explained in the proof. So we can say that this is the way that it is because of because we might calculate an answer and we would get the answer, you know, the, the correct the correct answer or whatever. Um, but but to to actually show why that is sometimes is a difficult task. So we, when you say theoretical mathematics, it might come from that angle where where like we might know something um, and we're not able to actually prove it, mm-hmm. why it is, why it's so. Um, and then, of course, yeah, there's there's theoretical there's there's um, uh, things that. Uh, mathematicians will propose and then they try to build a proof, you know, based on their premise. They'll say like, okay, well, you know, I want to prove that this and this and this is, is, is how it is. And then they try to write like a hundred page, you know, (laughs) basically mathematical proof going through all of the points and then, and explaining it. But a lot of that goes into um, imaginary things and, and things that are like uh, very much beyond like most people's understanding, even my own, you know, like mm-hmm. sometimes I've read some of those things and I'm just like, I can't, I can't follow this, you know? Yeah. It's very difficult. It gets very difficult because it's not, it's not tangible things. Like, you know, when you're talking about even algebra, uh, a lot of times you can represent uh, an algebraic expression through like a graph, through a chart, you can like visually see what it is, right? But when you get into some of these other uh, mathematical disciplines, you can't do something like that because you're talking, first of all, in a language that's not represented mm-hmm. uh, on like a two-dimensional or even a three-dimensional plane. Like it could be like 4Ds, 5Ds, 6D, you know, like <laughs> different dimensions, which you can't even visualize as humans. Yeah. We're only used to living in a three-dimensional world, you know, plus time, I guess. Um so anyway, yeah, you get it. Some of the stuff that you start getting into, you're just like, what the hell? Like, what is all this? You know, yeah. but then you but then you use it, you you can apply it to certain things and then, and then it works. And you're just like, oh, my God, people, people are amazing. You know, the things the things that we're capable of is, is just it's un, unimaginable. It's staggering. If you really think about it, it's really staggering. This is fascinating yeah. stuff, dude. I had no idea. Like this, this realm you're well, in right now, like you know what's frustrating though what's well i'm sorry i didn't mean (laughs) i didn't mean to cut you off too um what's frustrating is people who come in and try to defy experts you know there's been there's been a really huge anti-science wave in the united states especially over the last you know like five to ten years Mm -hmm. and um and that's incredibly frustrating to to me and i know to a lot of other people in specific fields because there's people who devote their entire lives to these various disciplines whatever whatever their expertise is you know and then you just have like an everyday joe just be like i don't believe you 
you know, mm-hmm. or this isn't the way that it is. And it's like, do you, do you even realize what you're saying? Like these people have devoted their entire lives to this mm-hmm. and they're standing on the shoulders of all the people who came before them, all the knowledge that preceded them, you know, they're building off of, that's what science is. Science is like the understanding of, uh, to the best of our, our knowledge. Right. Mm-hmm. And most of the time that's built on all of the knowledge that, that preceded you. So you have these like incremental steps of human understanding. And then just like some schmuck is just like, nah, that's not it. Like, I don't believe you, you know, and, and, and you're just like, like, come on. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's a little it. bit frustrating sometimes. <laughs> oh my God. I can um, imagine, dude. It, yeah. It's like, it's almost, sorry to the German listeners, but, uh, it's like in Germany when people ask you why your new record sucks, like straight to your face. <laughs> Where, well, this next album is, uh, not so great. Why? Like they, they don't ever. But that's objective though. True. But it's right. It's I mean, I mean, just that's shot people down. can have different take. What's what's great to one person can be terrible for another person. You know, there's exactly. that. That's like a that's a taste thing. Whereas <laughs> like if you have if you have proof that's you know what I mean? Like you could be like, well, electricity is the flow of electrons, you know, which mm-hmm. is which is caused by, uh, you know, by having like some potential uh, here that, that causes like the movement of electrons from one point to another. Right. Like you can try to explain it to somebody and they're like, nah, that doesn't work like that. And like. What do you mean it doesn't work like that? Like I flip on a light switch and the light comes on, right? Like uh-huh. I'm explaining it to you, like in in the way that it works, or you know. So <laughs> no, sometimes that that gets a little bit frustrating. I know that was frustrating for um for a lot of people who I've met over the years who are like engineering majors and like pe- uh-huh. people who are in physics and things like that. But uh, to be honest with you, though, uh, Dewey, I've sort of I've sort of kind of like um, straight away from the path of science because I was going to school for um for physics and for astrophysics specifically. Uh huh. Um, that's what she was decided, telling me about. Yeah. That's what so was I, I mean, me. I did, I did two programs with NASA with Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is like the, you know, the NASA headquarters in Pasadena, mm-hmm. um, which is mostly a research facility. And then they also work on like robotics and, and, um, they assemble a lot of things that go out into space, like various satellites and things like that. But, um, I realized at a, at a certain point that I do, I just don't really think that 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 was the field for me. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of I've kind of you know put put that as sort of behind me, and that's why I'm focusing more on education because I'm like, okay, well I can I can help um, push somebody in the direction that they want to go and pursue the sciences or yes. pursue whatever it is, and kind of help them get to that place. Finding that's kind of more where I'm at right now. Bit. Your, your yeah, spot exactly. in the your spot in the the hierarchy of things where you can teach someone <clears throat> teach someone to find their way into that that may feel like they belong there more that's 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 great that that seems like it yeah. comes with age too like realizing your place a little bit where hey maybe this isn't for me but I can help other people get there that may want to devote all they have to that you have so many other things you're doing with music and everything like you have so many different sides like do your students ever freak out when they realize like the bands you've been in like that are like hardcore fans and stuff sometimes but uh, honestly i don't really i don't really talk about that side of my life uh with with most of my students by the way i should also mention my students vary in in uh age pretty significantly because uh for 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 the chess students um a lot of times they'll start young so i'll have like first grade students you know all the way through high school and then, and, um, you know, obviously with the math, it's anywhere between middle school, high school and and first few years of college. So I have this like and, and college students, as you know, could be older, 
They don't, oh, yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean like the college students are like fresh out of high school. So, I mean, I've had students anywhere like age five to age 50, you know, so it's like I've just run that whole spectrum of Good ages. Lord. And it's it's really interesting, too, because over over the years. Yeah. So I originally started tutoring at uh, one of my old colleges. I was working at their tutoring center. Mm hmm. And that was actually great for me as a student because, you know, if you can explain something to somebody, they always say that that's an indicator of that you understand something. Right. Mm -hmm. So so I did that more for myself. I was starting to think, all right, well, what can I do for a job and also help my schooling? Oh, I can be a tutor because then I can sort of like keep that information fresh in my own brain. Right. As I as I kind of advance in my in my academics and whatnot, um, but that was a really good help um, in terms of learning how to explain things to people because you just have so many different kinds of people come in mm -hmm. and you try to explain something one way to somebody and they might not get it. So then you have to think of another way to do it, right? You got to think of like different avenues, and I think that that was really like where I was like, okay, I really like doing this because it's almost like a puzzle. Like you have to figure out how to explain mm -hmm. something to somebody and 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 make it in a way so that they understand and if they don't understand you have to like try to think of another way to do it you know like what's mm -hmm. the you have to approach it maybe from a different a different perspective and i think that's really kind of what makes a good teacher i think when people say like oh i didn't like my teacher i didn't have a good teacher it's because their teacher didn't uh know how to speak to them how you know in, in such a way so that that you understand but like you said some uh something earlier about um how the uh actually i forget in what context we we just said it like 20 minutes ago but about how you can look online now right like online is, is such a um a, a great resource for how to do something like you can look that stuff mm -hmm. up yourself like you can yeah. if you ever don't know how to do anything just go on youtube or go on google and search for how to do it and a lot of times people just don't realize that those resources are available to us. You know, mm -hmm. like when I was in school the first time when we were in school, like, you know, in high school and whatnot, like that wasn't really available to yeah. you. You know, you have to go to a library and you have to like take, make photocopies of pages from books from <laughs> from the library. But nowadays it's like all the information is there. You know, you just mm -hmm. need to like seek it out or know how to find it. You have to know how to access it. So, yeah. That's what college, I was saying, that's what college teaches you how to research things on your own. Like that's the greatest that's it skill was, yeah. it'll teach you because you're responsible it's not like oh mom and dad are gonna get pissed maybe it is if you're younger in college but it's kind of on you at that point to fail or pass like or to succeed like get what you want out of it it's up to you and that i think is the greatest lesson of college is is trying is figuring out how to be self-sufficient that way um yep you know uh, aside from all the other things you learn i think that's the big takeaway is is you can do this on your own like you're capable of anything um when did you when did you start playing chess personally? Like, were you first grade, like early on? That's a good question. So my grandfather taught me. So I'm from uh, I was born in the Soviet Union. I was born in Ukraine wow. when Ukraine was was part of the okay. Soviet Union. And we had we had immigrated to the United States when I was seven. So we did it legally. We know we had like a whole it was a whole crazy immigration process. Some of my, my earliest years, I remember, was that immigration because it was like a three month process. And my grandfather was sort of like my like my my dad, you know, like my my dad and my mom split when we were really young. And he would teach me everything. He would teach me and he was a scientist. I mean, my grandfather was to this day the smartest person I'd ever met. And he taught me chess. Uh probably I would say, I don't know, maybe when I was five, you know, maybe when I was six. But I didn't really take to it um until much later 
uh, on my own, you know, like, like really take to it, you know, like, whereas like I started studying and playing every day and, Mm -hmm. and then figuring out that I like teaching it. I think I was maybe in my, in my twenties and like my maybe 23 or 24, you know, Mm -hmm. I actually played, uh, I started playing with people from music, you know, that was like, that was like a cool thing when I had figured out that like other people were into chess, Mm -hmm. this is before Queen's Gambit, of course, which kind of like popularized it shot the popularity of chess, like through the roof. Yeah. But there was a whole slew of of uh, hardcore and other music adjacent musicians who were really into chess. And I kind of sought them out. I, you know, I've over the years, I've heard like, oh, this person plays chess and this person plays chess. And I've played a lot of them over the years. So like um, I started playing, you know, I played like Richie Birkenhead from Into Another Geert from Shai Hulud is a super uh, good friend of mine. I actually stayed with him in Netherlands at his family's house and then at his house. And we'd play chess the entire time that I was there. Rob Fusco from Wonking Down uh, plays chess. Um, there's like a whole there's a whole group of people. Greg Bannock from Trial. Mm-hmm. I met him. We actually the first time I ever met him um, because a friend of mine told me that he played chess and I had corresponded with him and I said, hey, you're coming through Los Angeles trial. We're playing a show. And I said, hey, let's play chess after your show. So we ended up playing on the stage that they just finished playing. Like the show ended. <laughs> yeah. And there's literally videos of us playing chess on that stage that like trial had just played, you know, like an hour beforehand or whatever. So, wow. yeah, chess, chess is chess is awesome, man. I love it. It's so fun. Um, it's also very frustrating because it's like an endless amount of knowledge, you know, and, and, uh, that, that gets kind of frustrating because like my, my brain capacity, (laughs) like I'm only at at a, at a certain level, you know, and if I had more time, I would dedicate more time. I would study chess all the time, which is what young kids do. If you start at a really young age and you really put your time into it, you know, you have this exponential growth or whatever. And I had that to a point, but I feel like right now, because I'm not doing that, I'm not like studying all the time because I just don't have the time for it. I've sort of plateaued, you know, and Uh it's like really frustrating because I'm just like, I know I could get to that, that next level, but it's like with anything, you just have to do it all the time, all the time, all the time to be like great, like really, really great, you know? And I'm like just below like that. <laughs> I'm like just below, you know? I'm, I'm good. Like I'm definitely good. I don't want, you know, I'm not trying to talk myself up like I'm like the best or the worst, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm better than the average person, but I'm also not, I'm below the level of a master. Because mm-hmm. there's different levels of, of masters as well. Like interna- international master, national masters, grandmasters. And I have friends who are masters and uh, I have tied some masters before. So I will say that I got draws out of some masters in, in real chess, which is an accomplishment in itself, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but I could be much better. And and I think most chess players will say that they'll say like, ah, I could be better if I just put more time into it, you know, but it takes a lot of time, (laughs) a lot of time. You have to dedicate so much to that. It seems just like with anything, with an instrument, something like chess, like there's, there's like an infinite amount of moves, isn't there? Like, there's no, like, I mean, you're teaching strategy and like i guess yeah thinking ahead essentially like spotting things like this is from an outsider's perspective what i would imagine teaching chess is like is teaching uh maybe not anticipation but like maybe that's the wrong word but like looking two and three steps ahead sizing up your opponent thinking where they're gonna go like but also having like a plan b and a plan c and a plan f like is that correct? Like it, it's more yeah. like a teaching. Antici- anticipation is a good word. Okay. 
The the word you used, anticipation, mm-hmm. that's a good word. Yeah, because you you know you're you're always looking not just what your your plan is, but also you have to look at at your opponents, right? Mm-hmm. Like like what are they doing? Like what where is their um where is their game going? Or like what what do they have up their sleeve? You know, what mm-hmm. are they planning? So I think that that was a good word to put it. But chess is really split up in, into three parts, which is what a lot of casual players don't really know, or they don't, you know, they don't really like seek that out. But really there's an opening, there's a middle game, and then there's the end game. And it really is like three separate parts of the game. So the opening is the, the first, you know, five to 15 moves, mm-hmm. which is nowadays all memorization. All memorization. You know, uh, like you can play, I, I know a decent amount of openings, but grandmasters, they know every refutation for any possible combination of the first like 10 moves, which we're talking in the tens of thousands of combinations just from the beginning of the game. And the the whole point of that is to optimize your position, like to, to put all of your pieces in the best possible places, both offensively and defensively, right? So mm-hmm. if you're playing against somebody who has like all these things memorized, you can have no chance in your game because you don't even have your pieces in the right places. You know, you're all you're already in a worse position a few moves into the game just because you didn't play the most optimal moves, mm-hmm. you know, and nowadays with computers, because they have all of these different chess engines, they can actually look like, you know, 30, 40 moves ahead. The computers can, and they can tell you what the best move is, you know? So that's what they do. Nowadays, people just memorize the openings to, to the best of their own uh, memory. Mm-hmm. And then there's the middle game, which is, which is more like what you said, like the anticipation and then also tactics, Uh, So there's, you know, there's various chess tactics that use and you can practice those. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. You can just practice tactics, which I do sometimes, you know, do do like 20 to to 50 chess puzzles a day. And there's all kinds of different tactics like forks, skewers, pins, uh, removing the defenders, you know, all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the end game is when almost everything is off the board and you're left with just a handful of pieces. And that's actually the most difficult part of the game because that's when the most calculation has to take uh, take place because most of the time in the very end of the game you're just trying to figure out how can you get a one of your remaining pawns that you have to the end to, to queen it you know because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. usually at the end of the game it's like just a few pawns and then maybe like a couple other major pieces um but that but that's a uh that's a difficult area to study because uh, there's just like so many different combinations that can happen you know yeah. but yeah that's why i'm saying chess is like yeah it's an it's it's like an infinite uh basket of knowledge that nobody uh can can really know everything you know the, like nowadays they have these supercomputers that uh in fact a lot of them are are self-learning right so they te- they give the you know ai is kind of like a big thing now you know mm-hmm. so they have these uh they have these various chess self-learning programs where they just give them the rules and then they let them play against each other or, or uh, you know, they'll, they'll like import a database of like all the games that have ever been played on a high level. And then those computers are like unbeatable. There's no, there's no way that any human being could at this point beat like a supercomputer in chess. It's just impossible because they see millions of combinations in a second, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, um, uh, where was I going with that? <laughs> I had a point to that. I was going to say, uh, but, but that's what a lot of people do is just, they just like study what the computers tell them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They mm-hmm. just, they just, they just do that. And there's, there's no way that you can ever outplay a computer, but you can learn from it. Um, oh, but I, I remember what I was going to say. I was going to say that 
even the most powerful computers have not quote unquote figured out chess. Like there's, you can't like say like, oh, here's a perfect game. And I've learned uh, all of the moves that will win me every single time ever for the rest of time. Right. Otherwise then the game wouldn't, it would be over. There wouldn't be a chess game anymore. Right. Yeah. It would just be like, okay, well, I already know that that sequence of, of events and then that's it. There's, there's no point in ever playing it again. You can't even do that with with any supercomputer even close to uh that's how many different combinations can arise from from different chess positions um so yeah it's it's like it's just never ending this is incredibly fascinating i i i've never played chess in my life i've played checkers right i got which oh, there's man. a lot of skill there but but you chess, said you said the dreaded word i've never i've never <laughs> played chess in my life because i don't like even begin to understand the move, like learning the game, that's on me. But like, that, that's why I find this incredibly fascinating because I knew nothing about it. But it's just like, theoretically, it seems like it could bleed into your own life, like how you deal with situations, how you deal with uh, stressful situations or difficult situations, seeing survival situations, seeing two moves ahead, seeing like how much of a life skill chess could be. Uh, or is uh, is fascinating to me. So that would be my my next thought on this is two things. Where did chess originate? Because I've never I've never looked that up or or even questioned that. And then does it come into your own life, like where you find yourself using these skills that you've grown with to deal with situations in day to day? Two part. Right, great questions. All right. So yeah. So the I'll answer the first one first. Uh, origin is actually debated um, because there are theories that it or originated in the Far East. So okay. in in you know now what are uh, some of the Asian the Eastern Asian countries, mm -hmm. and then there's also theories that it originated in um, in African countries, like in, in certain areas there. So. You know, back in the day when, uh, you know, that that whole landmass, mm -hmm. Europe, Asia, Africa, they're all connected. So you had a lot of different migrations happening. So, you know, who brought it to which region is very much debatable. And also because there were different variations of chess. Chess wasn't always exactly as it is today. There were some rules that have changed over the years. You know, one of the one of the most um, known ones is the queen, for example. Like the queen to this day is 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 universally recognized as the most powerful chess piece. She can do the most in a chess game, but that wasn't always the case. You know, queens used to only be able to move two squares in any direction, which is just one more than the king. Now they can move across the entire board. So it wasn't the most powerful piece. In fact, the, the rooks and the knights were thought of as more powerful pieces than the queen. So there's these rules that have been um, that have changed over the years. But as far as timeline goes, it's anywhere between 1,000 and 1,500 years. That's how long wow. the game of chess um, has been has been played. And like I said, through different variations yeah. and such. And my understanding is uh, there are different um, elements of chess that have come from other games that that humans have invented, one of them being a game called Go. I don't know if you're if you've heard of that I'm game not. before. So I've tried playing Go. Go is a is a really fascinating game, but it's fairly different. You know, I can see that there's certain elements that would carry over with some of the strat strategic thinking and and some and, and certain like you know actual strategies in the game. 
but it's per- it's pretty different from the chess that we know today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go is almost like more similar to Othello to me, which is a game I, I used to play on Nintendo, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> where like you turn over white and black pieces and yeah. stuff. Um, so anyhow, that's the that's the first part. Um, and then the second part, so the the program that I work with when I teach the after school chess, this is one of the things that we try to stress to um, elementary school uh, students to their parents. You know, when when you try to get them to sign up for the program about how chess can affect their learning and critical thinking and the benefits to that as a human for doing other things, right? Not just mm-hmm. not just the game itself. Mm-hmm. So those things include um visualization you know there's a lot of visualization that goes into chess which is what you were saying earlier you know like uh thinking ahead and Mm -hmm. um determining what your strategy is as well as your opponent's strategy and you have to try to visualize that you know Mm -hmm. if this if this does this and i do this and then they do this and i do that you have to think about all of that in your head you can't just like move it on the board um uh also multitasking right you have to think about um various things that are happening on the chessboard and um and, and simultaneously think about all of those things and how strategically to you know uh to play your game around that mm-hmm. um calculation of course so that's that's uh related to mathematics you know like if you have three pieces ganging up on a specific square and you have you know two pieces defending that square then the the larger number overall is going to be able to win that square you know whether it's a piece or just like winning control of that square so um there's a lot of different things that chess can help you with in your life so for me personally i am a multitasker anyone that knows me will will tell you that um i'm always trying to do a million things at once mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's not a good thing. I'm very productive and I always try to do a lot of things. So in that way, I think it's a great thing. Um, but uh, this has been pointed out to me before. A lot of times I fail to live in the moment, you know, to be in like the present time because I'm always thinking about the next thing or something that's happening tomorrow or something that's happening a week from now. You know, I'm planning ahead for something that's going to happen. And usually that makes those things run smooth because of that, you know, but then I forget to sometimes like enjoy like what I'm doing presently, you know, or, or whatever that may be, you know? Um, so I have to take a step back sometimes and remind myself like, okay, I'm in the moment right now. Like, don't think about the future. Like that doesn't matter right now. And that's something that I, that I've struggled with. I have struggled with for a long time, but I think that chess, uh, definitely helps with that, with the multitasking, you Mm -hmm. know, thinking about different things and also planning ahead. Yeah, dude. I, Oh, does that answer your question? Absolutely. It (laughs) does. But also brings up more because I'm the same way. I'm always multitasking. I'm always, I'm never in the moment except where we're at right now doing this, these lights come on and like, I'm there, like I'm a hundred percent engaged. I'm never that way anywhere else in my day-to-day life ever. And it's incredibly frustrating. I've been that way my whole life. And I'm always thinking about the next thing, the next move, the next whatever. Um, but then thinking about it deeper is once you get to what you plan for, yeah, it runs smooth, but you're also not living that either. Cause then you're on to the next thing. So you've made, you've done the legwork to make it we're basically like AI versions of ourselves. Like in our brains, we're tomorrow, but the AI is going through and completing the tasks that we've set out for ourselves to where, okay, this time this happens, this happens, I've got this, 
boom, boom. The body goes through that, but the mind doesn't. So we're never really getting anything because it's like tomorrow I'm thinking about Saturday. So I'm doing everything I planned today for tomorrow. My body is, but my mind's never there. It's only there when it's not happening before and after, right? Like it's never actually there. And I think that's why things like this, like chess for you, this for me is so rewarding and therapeutic is because it forces us into that realm where we're maybe not necessarily comfortable either, but it forces you to be in the moment and focused. So I think that's where the craving comes to do these things. Um, But yeah, never, you never get to experience like that thrice record to be everywhere is to be nowhere is really, it's a true thing for a lot of people. Like you, you, we spread ourselves so thin and yet we don't get to enjoy any of it really because it just kind of passes trying to get to the next moment and then when there's no more moments left it's over everything goes dark yeah. and it's bye-bye like it's 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 a whole well that's what <laughs> i believe anyway here, that's we? what i believe but um <laughs> i won't put that on anyone else but the uh i just feel you like you know what though i think it. i think you and i i think you and i are are actually um the exceptions though because i do think that more often than not most people are capable of mostly doing like the task that's in front of them, mm-hmm. you know, and are not necessarily focused on like, well, what's the next thing or what's planning? You know, we call that sometimes flying by the seat of our pants, right? Yeah. You've heard that expression. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that I know that are like that. They just kind of like, they just do the one thing. They focus on the one thing and there's nothing wrong with that. You mm-hmm. know, maybe they actually appreciate that task more because they're in the moment of doing that. Yeah. So it's so. not, it's not everybody. I listened to a podcast today um, or part of a podcast where they were talking about water wars. So like, I don't know if, mm. if you're familiar with, with that concept, right? Yeah, like, so I it's am. not really being taught. Well, it's not being talked about a lot yet. You know, this is something I've been familiar with for the last few years because it seems to be an inevitability. Like mm. it seems to be, especially with climate change, you know, a lot of, a lot of regions in the world are becoming uninhabitable. And eventually we're going to get to this point where, there's only certain places in the world that are going to have fresh water, mm-hmm. you know, unless we figure out like a desalinization type situation and being more efficient with that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there's going to be wars fought over, you know, where, how can I provide for my country or for my city or whatever it is. Yep. Right. I mean, we're having that issue in, in Southern California, you know, we're having constant drought and water shortages right now. Um, we just had all these crazy rains. And so I think, you know, that that's an anomaly like for 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 right now that helped us Mm -hmm. but it's not permanent eventually it's going to dry up and you know we're going to get back to the same thing but my point the reason why i bring that up is because on the podcast they said that for humans for the people who are in charge right like the rulers of all these different nations the un all these people even they're like that like there's all these looming issues in the world that we as humans can tackle right now and say, look, there's a lot of problems and let's do something about it right now, like for the future of humanity. And what do humans do? They say, nah, we'll handle that when the time comes. You know, mm-hmm. we'll we'll rely on the smartest people in the world at that time to put all of their minds, their great minds together and save us. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Rather than thinking about like, what can we do right now? to save that situation. So like, it's funny that you, you know, we're here, we're, we're talking about like, well, what's the next thing? How can we, you know, what are we, what are we yeah. doing next? And then like, we're like, oh, actually like humans, most humans don't think like that. Most humans are just like, well, we're just going to let it ride out. And then when the problem comes up, 
then we'll take care of it, you know? Uh And then most of the time, that's when it's like too late. Dude, I'm a commercial plumber by trade. I talk about this all the time at work. People will fight wars for the amount of water we just flushed down a system to test it. Like we will fill an entire building tower with water and let it sit for 15 minutes so the inspector can come and look at it, make sure nothing's leaking, and then just let it go. And we're talking astronomical amounts of water. Like there's days when I was an apprentice, I'd be up there for seven hours filling a system with water to hold for 15 minutes and then dump it. And then... (laughs) And then that's not saying like also when it does go wrong and a thing blows off and it floods the entire building for four days over a weekend, all that's gone. And it's just like, it's just like, it's nothing. But then at the same time, there's plumbers that are going through and like designing these systems that can uh, uh, clean water, like a shower that the shower water goes through it and goes through like a, uh, a couple different systems that, that purify that water that you just used like it's crazy the amount of technology they're coming up with but just the archaic way of testing you can test these pipes with air you absolutely can but water has a way of working its way through things that things you test with air don't always 100 percent hold and you know the hundreds of thousands of dollars that cause millions of dollars in damage that water can cause a lot of places want you to test with water And I've been saying it my whole apprenticeship and through the trade, like people will fight. Countries will fight for the amount of water we just wasted today. Like, it's crazy to think about how much. Anyways, you want a tangent about that, but like every day we're doing stuff like that. And it's just like, this is, it's wild. It's wild. We're not thinking about the next step. We're trying to get to the next step by completing an inspection. And getting a building turned over so people can live in it or not because they're so expensive. Um, it's just weird. Like we're really, we just fill this up with water and let it sit there and then pull the plug. Yep. Go fill all the tubs in the entire building with water to the brim. Let the inspector walk by. Yep. They're not leaking. All right. Go dump them all. Like it's, yep. it's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but it it ties in to what we're talking about here with with talking about the water wars like um yeah i think the first time i th- actually thought about that was one of the first things i saw before the first time i saw henry rollins do his spoken word and he was talking about going to these countries where they are going to start fighting over water soon like it's it, it and this was 10 years ago maybe 10 or 12 years ago when he's talking about this and i was really thinking about it, like wow that could be now this could be soon you know yeah you have it's pepsi going in, next, in and draining water and selling it back like, i mean it's you know again this is like we're getting into morbid subjects yes, but this is are. like an inevitability <laughs> you know unfortunately it's it's just something that uh, uh people aren't thinking about now but mm-hmm. i mean and that's not even to say that there's entire regions of the world that are going to be uninhabitable like mostly around the equator you know like the middle east and mm-hmm. things like that like there's going to be huge migrations of people that have to evacuate those areas because it's just unlivable you're not yeah. able to live there yeah so i mean if we're talking about like you know like refugee crises the ones that we've heard of in our lifetime we've never seen anything like you don't like we're in for something as humans you know like yeah there's not a lot of people that are aware that this is going to happen but it's going to happen like 
it's going to happen. It's just an inevitability. Sure. You know, we're not doing anything to prevent any of those things from happening. Yeah. It's just on its way and it'll eventually get yeah. here. And then it's every, everybody for themselves again. Like it's, oh. So that's why everyone listening, live your life to the fullest while you can. Yeah. You know, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy life while Cross it's here things for us. off your bucket list. And we'll segue here because uh, cr- speaking of crossing things off your bucket list, you have created a beautiful, beautiful piece of music uh, in your solo record. And I uh, that was a bucket list item for you to complete a record Thank on you. your own. Like, and it's it's fantastic. Now, I didn't know all I knew, you know, what Vika told me about you be like, do it. She's like, yeah, he's doing stuff for like NASA or like. It, it was very vague, but it it made you sound like this amazing genius, which I think you are. Um, no. But hearing the record, not knowing that about you, to like the mathematical degree and things that you that you're doing and and your your prowess with that stuff, it makes a lot more sense to me now. Some of the things that I thought about listening to the record on the composition side, some of the some of the um the note choices and the time signatures and the different instrumentation and how things it's very um there's like a strong beatlesque vibe to it as far as like the overall like i felt similar to when i would listen to a beatles record like that that um instrumentation wise and and note choice but it it was different than that. Like it was, it was, it was akin to that, I guess I could say, but what you're creating is really like, and not to say the Beatles aren't special, but what you're creating is very special. Like there's, I can tell how much thought went into this record and just the way that I'm absorbing it. I can kind of feel the, 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 the weight, I guess is, and and not to get all kumbaya with this, but like, just listening to those those choices really it kind of settled with me in a in a really nice way like you know like when you pick up something that was made by hand and it's just got a weight to it and like a value to it it's not just a plastic piece of garbage like it was similar to that but like more emotional like i could feel the weight in this record if that makes sense and that was what was really special about it to me. And then hearing about, you know, what you're doing with mathematics and stuff and music is mathematics. It made a lot of sense on, on why it was so intricate, but I will, I will go one step further. I don't think the intricate, the intricacy of this record would, would put someone off. That's not a musician. As someone who's not a musician and doesn't understand music, I think can enjoy this record just as much as I did. But being a musician, I noticed these things. So it gave me even more. It was like a bonus, I guess. I'm going all over the place with this, but long story short, it's an amazing piece of music uh, as a whole. Every song stands on its own, but as a whole, it's just a beautiful encapsulation of 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 like a, an overall feel what's going on guys this is dewey from peer pleasure and i want to tell you about our newest sponsor distro kid distro kid distributes your music across all online platforms 
They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hey, this is Mike Wiebe, and I'm the singer in a band called The Riverboat Gamblers. And I'm Zach Blair. I play guitar in a band called Rise Against. Mike and I also have a band called The Draculas, and we also have this great, amazing new podcast called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah, each week we're going to ask ourselves and we're going to ask our guests what three favorite things they are into at that moment or in their entire lives. And then we're either going to agree with them or we're going to make fun of them. And uh, you're going to listen to it and you're going to like it or we will make fun of you. How about that? I just flipped it on you, the person listening to this right now. But we're going to do it every week here on the Sound Talent Network. Once again, it's called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, this is Scott from Fly on the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or The Wonder Years, or a band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the past cast. The past cast is a podcast that I'd started separately. That is me and another podcaster or me and a guest 
uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so and so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So and so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes, and we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of of that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month, because I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. So, oh man, cheers to you for that. Hopefully that came across in a way that made sense because my mind's just all over the place when I talk about music, but, um, it was just like a, a really well done handmade piece. Um, I listened to it four or five times. Not all, not all right. One right after the other, but on different occasions, different, um, different like headphones, in the truck, like different places to really absorb it. And every time it just hit like it. And, and, uh, anyway, I could ramble about this for another 20 minutes, but good job. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Great job. Thank you, Dewey. Great oh job. man. Thank you so much. But thank you. Let's talk really, about really this a little bit because it's uh, like, what went into formulating this? Like I want to make a record and getting it done. Was there a lot of life that happened in between? Wow. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. I, again, that was, Absolutely. that was really, really nice to hear. I really appreciate you uh, saying all of that. Um, okay. So I put music aside for a while in my life. Um, you know, not completely, of course, like listening still, of course, and and still playing, you know, acoustic guitar at home and whatnot yeah. and piano. But um, in terms of like, you know, like trying to like write and record a record like I, I, that, that wasn't even on my mind for a very long time. And, um, you know, as with a lot of people, um, when the pandemic um, hit and people had more time and were at home. um. I, in, this is in the beginning of 2020, mm -hmm. um, you know, Poison the Well, who I've been playing with since, since 2016, you know, had all, all these plans to do stuff in that year. So like, that was going to be my music stuff for the year, you know, aside from all the other, uh, like, you know, my work and, and whatever mm -hmm. I was doing. So, um, that was, that I wasn't going to do anything, but then once we were on lockdown, you know, I said, let me learn how to finally like record myself. Like how do you, you know, how do I use recording software? How to use plugins? You know, I didn't really know how to do any of this stuff before. I, I, I've had some recording software in the past and I've done some stuff on my own, but like, you know, not to, not to this extent. So I put out a feeler on Facebook and on Instagram just to my friends. And I said, Hey, I'm looking to get back into music. 
if you ever wanted to collaborate with me, now is the time. Mm -hmm. And I did. I ended up getting a lot of responses from it, all different kinds of people. Um, and through that experience, I learned a lot. I learned, first of all, how to do it on my own, you know, and things I didn't know how to do. I looked, I looked up how to do it on, on YouTube, as we talked about earlier, yes, you know, sir. you teach yourself how to do these <laughs> things, you know? Um, I also learned about my work ethic and, and like the work ethic of, of people who I was collaborating with, like the, you know, when, like when it works, when it doesn't work. Um, I learned about file sharing, you know, how to go back and forth through the internet. That was kind of like a whole new experience to me using cloud storage and being able to send files back, back and forth and, and all this kind of stuff. And I got to, um, really, um, utilize my skills, uh, my skill set in music because I have a very, very, very long history in music, even prior to being in rock bands, you know, like I, I grew up, um, singing in the philadelphia boys choir that's something that most people don't know about I me i traveled the, i tr i traveled the world actually singing in the philadelphia boys choir um from ages let's see i think it was like nine to 14 i mean I've, i think i've performed in like 15 countries i was a soloist in the philadelphia boys choir and then also i played in like all my school concert bands jazz bands orchestra um i played the trumpet that was my mm -hmm. that was my main instrument before, before guitar before drums me too. You know, and so, uh, oh, awesome. Yeah. And and I also got to perform in like, um, you know, various like operas even. Uh, I, I've, I've I performed in the Philadelphia Boys Choir with the Nutcracker. So some, we did some ballets. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I, I also studied music theory um, for, for a few years, right? So like, so I have this background of music that far surpasses just rock music, mm -hmm. you know, and, and for a long time, that's all I did. That's all I was interested in was rock music and particularly heavy rock music. You know, I always wanted to be in like a hardcore and a metal band and all this stuff, but you know, eventually like that, that kind of stuff sort of, um, like, I guess I just wasn't in that mindset anymore of like loud screaming music. And that's not to say that I don't like that kind of music. I still very much enjoy a lot of it. Um, but that's not particularly like what I want to be playing in, uh, in terms of, or writing, I should say, mm -hmm. writing of, on my own, mm -hmm. you know, and I have this skill set where I'm able to, uh, orchestrate for more than a rock band. You know, it took me a while to realize that because we have this ability to multi-track when you have this, you have these like various DAWs, right? Like all these different things you have as like, I don't want to say unlimited, but you have quite a bit of tracks that you can work with. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I realized like through these collaborations that like, wow, I can orchestrate these songs, like as if I'm writing for like an actual band, like a concert band or like an orchestra, or I can put 10 vocal tracks of something harmonizing with myself and doing counter melodies and all this kind of stuff, which I've never done before in rock bands, you know? Mm -hmm. So after um after those collaborations and i think i did about 15 collaborations all different kinds indie rock uh some 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 heavy stuff uh uh instrumental type stuff i did some bossa nova i did some electronic stuff you know and it kind of gave me a, a really good perspective of where my strong uh strong points are and all this kind of stuff and then i was like you know it's at a certain point i was just like you know what why don't i why don't i try to do like some stuff on my own and i've had um some of the material that ended up on this record are ideas I've been sitting with for over 10 years, 
you know, just like never went anywhere. Just like, just kind of like I had like a riff here or like a part here, or some of them were actually like fully realized songs, but they were just on like an acoustic guitar, you mm-hmm. know, and I had maybe a vocal melody in mind, like an acoustic guitar with a vocal melody. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it started. I was just like, after I did a bunch of these collaborations and I felt a little bit more confident in my abilities and what I was able to do, I just started recording on my own. And that's kind of how it happened. I just like started putting together different ideas, like, okay, I've got this idea, I got this idea, I got this idea. And just a little bit at a time, just started working on songs, you know? Um, But it was very different from how I've worked in the past Uh, and, and especially different for how a lot of like hardcore and metal is written, which is like you get together with the band, you kind of like jam stuff out and you you sort of like piece parts together. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they flow, sometimes they don't flow. You know, you might have a part that just goes from like a completely different time signature or a completely different tempo. And it just like it just works because mm-hmm. it's just that's just the kind of music, you know. Um, uh, but but in in this was all very, 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 very scrutinized and thought over, you know, like like I would sit with uh, I would start like with maybe a guitar and a vocals. Maybe I would lay down like some drum patterns or something, you know, just like MIDI drums, mm-hmm. you know? And I would take these really long walks at um, this place here by my house called the Bolsa Chica Wetlands, which is just like this beautiful natural preserve. It's got like, you know, like a body of water, lots of animals, nature. And, and I would just take these walks with these headphones and and listen to what I've done and figure out how to make it better, mm-hmm. like part mm-hmm. by part, you know, like, like, or, or what can I do to make this better? Or like, is this part, does this part need to be tossed? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this a dead end? You know, this kind of thing. And I did that for about a year and it, it was just like, just going part by part, song by song. What does this need? What does this not need? Which part works? What part doesn't work? You know? And, and again, with always the intent of making a studio album, you know that and 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 there's a very big distinction by the way between a studio album and let's say a live performance you know and and this is something that took me a long time to understand see like when you're when you're playing rock music a lot of times you're recording rock music with the intent of performing it exactly as it is live yes. right mm-hmm. you're like this is this is it like this is what it sounds like this is what mm-hmm. an audience is going to get right and you mentioned the beatles earlier the beatles are one of my favorite bands of all time if not my favorite band you know at least mostly from influence, right? Mm-hmm. Like influential to me in in my lifetime, in my upbringing, my mom's favorite band and all that. You know, what happened in the career of the Beatles? They went from being a live band that just played standard rock and roll, you know, 50s sounding, early 60s rock and roll, which could be any band at that time, mm-hmm. to them eventually transitioning into just being a studio band. Mm-hmm. You know, the last three years of the Beatles, they were just a studio band. That's all they did. They would show up at the studio every day. That was their job. And they would figure out with George Martin's help how to make the song better. Mm-hmm. What can we do with this composition that and it doesn't and never did they think I'm making this record so that I can play this live. You know, I never once thought that, you know, it was always it was always like, I'm just going to make a studio record. If I'm putting 40 tracks on something that's because there's an intention with it being a studio album. It's not meant to be something that I'm going to go out there and perform exactly how it is mm-hmm. on the record, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that, and again, that was very intentional. Like I wanted it to be like that. I wanted to kind of like, well, I also, I wanted to showcase like that I can play multiple instruments. You know, mm-hmm. I played a lot of instruments on, on the record myself, but, but that was the thing. It was always just like, I want to, 
put this together as if there was like 30 musicians in a room all playing this one piece of music, which is what orchestras are. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go see a classical piece or whatever, like that's how uh, people used to compose music. If you look at any of the classical composers, I mean, they're yeah, okay, they have piano concertos and stuff. They might they might write just for piano, but then a lot of times they're composing for an entire orchestra for the brass section, for the woodwinds, for the percussion, mm-hmm. you know, for the strings. Like that's how I approach the record. I I wanted to I wanted it to be more than just a typical rock record, which like at this point in my life, I'm mostly known for being a rock musician, you know. Mm-hmm. And I really think that I ha- I had like more than that to to like give to the world in in terms of like what I can do in 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 creating like some music you know, mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's the you know that's that's how it came to be. Dude, this shows it absolutely. Just the I, the instrumentation, <clears throat> like I said, like the note choice, like every. So going side note here into Poisonwell for a second because you've been playing with Poisonwell like you said since 2016. Uh, a band that I love, the band that finally got me to understand screaming music. Uh, I hated screaming music. I sold, I can't remember how many times I bought and sold Jane Doe by Converge because I wanted to be cool and have the record, but I I hated it. It made me angry. And I've told this to Nate and to uh, uh, Kurt and like to their face. Like I've told this. I, I was upset. I was physically upset and I gave it away and I tried again and I tried again and it never made sense. But one one night I had a fight with my girlfriend and I had like a, a CD player alarm clock and I had bought Tear from the Red and I hated it. And it was in there and I was so mad and I just turned it on and, <laughs> and uh, it just spoke to me in that moment. But I had to hear it in that context to be like okay now i understand why they're screaming like what why you know like i felt something at that time and that was poison well that did that uh poison well also taught taught me because i didn't grow up with like a lot of different kinds of music like there's mainly pop music where you're kind of catered to in a way it's very hard to write pop music but at the same time you're catered where the 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 uh the melody resolves itself usually in a comfortable way because that's how it's supposed to happen. That's why it gets stuck in your head. I wasn't exposed to a lot of different kinds of music. So Poisonwell taught me that you don't always get what you want. It's a weird way of saying this. You don't always get what you want because there's a lot of the vocal melody and the, the guitar melodies that don't resolve in the way you think they will. Because uh, once you listen to music or you're a musician for a while, you start to know where the notes are supposed to go to finish that chorus or whatever. But they would always go to a minor or somewhere else that taught me that that's okay. And it makes sense. You don't always get the resolve that you want. Um, and so that's why I'm talking when I say note choice, because I don't, I don't have a theory background either. I played trumpet through middle school and some high school band. Uh, it was my, like, I was still learning how to play guitar. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mom, mom got one at a garage sale. Um, and, but with, when I'm listening to what you do, I look at the note choice and stuff like, like fall down, like that progression where it goes towards the end is not where I thought it would go. And I love that. It's almost like, and I'm rambling again, but like, when I think of music, I think I kind of compartmentalize a little bit. And I kind of I either see it in tracks or I see it in blocks. 
and blocks that are supposed to go into a certain way. And there's like a safe kind of block, like a comfortable block, and there's like an uncomfortable spot. And when too much gets in the uncomfortable spot, it starts to feel off to me. And it's it's really weird how I'm explaining this. But you did both of those things. Like you gave the challenge and you gave the prize is kind of what I'm looking at it as. And that's what drew me in initially is, is like in one progression, you did both those things. And then the instrumentation comes in. And that's where like when I say Beatles esque, it wasn't the sound, but it was like the 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 instrumentation of it, the the composition of it um brought those feelings that I get when I hear the Beatles. And that's where I tied that together. But um yeah. Totally weird random tangent, I guess, but uh, does it make sense what I'm saying? Like <laughs> where of course it's like yeah. a it's like yeah. a like not all waves are smooth, but this one like did everything. Like it's it's and that's just the first song. Like, and I had my son, my son in the truck with me. I was like, "Do you like this song, Grayson?" He's like, "Uh huh, uh huh." And I could, but he he doesn't. He's not hearing it the way I'm hearing it. He's just hearing it as a as a casual listener. The dad's got a record playing in the truck. Um, but you can kind of I would look back at him and his head would kind of move. And he doesn't, he sits pretty still in the truck. He's, he's autistic and um, he sits very still in the truck, looks out the window. He likes to feel the vibration of the truck moving on his chin or with his hands on his chin like this, but he was starting to kind of rock to it a little bit. Like he was following along after I said, do you like this song? And uh, that was cool to see because it doesn't happen very often. And he usually says yes, if he asks me a question about music. But this, I could actually see him move it, like engaging with it. And that was where I get that, like, um, that universal kind of feel to what you're doing where it can touch anybody. But if you really analyze it, you'll find some really cool, like, Easter egg kind of things as a musician. Anyways, I'll stop rambling about this because yeah. I'm annoying Thanks, myself. Dewey. Um, no, no, I, I actually want to, I want to add to what you said because, um, so, I, and I say this, my, a lot of my friends have probably heard me say this a bunch of times, but, um, so I, I, I very much analyze music like you do, um, composition and instrumentation, all that kind of stuff as well. Cause we're musicians, you know, it, it, and it yeah. is different than casual listeners. Um, but my, you know, my personal belief is that for a song to be really great, and this isn't universal, but for, for a song to be great, you can break it down to performing it on one instrument and voice, right? Mm. Like guitar mm -hmm. and voice, piano voice, right? Yes. It, the underlying song can be performed that way. The bones. So, mm. so all exactly. And you could put all the bells and whistles on it and, and you can, you know, you can make interesting arrangements and, and, and do all this other stuff with it. But if you can break that song down to just the the one instrument and the voice, then you have something that can be appreciated by everybody um, and, and can be performed in any style for that matter. Right. Because you mm -hmm. like a style is just playing a song with certain, you know, certain restrictions or certain limitations or, or whatever, like, a, like, a you know, certain things that define that style um, that I always say, Bob Marley, you know, I'm not really a reggae fan. I can appreciate reggae, mm -hmm. but I love Bob Marley. Because mm -hmm. Bob Marley was an incredible songwriter. You can take a Bob Marley song and you can play it in any style. 
because he understood the importance of having just like a very, very solid song, mm-hmm. as did the Beatles. Right. Um, so you can take those songs and you can you can convert them into like, a you know, a freaking metal song if you wanted to. You oh, know, yeah. but it, it's all it's all there for you. You know, so that was something that um, also was very important to me to be able to do that, to take to, to take these songs. And like I said, it's a studio album because like I'll never be able to recreate that album live as is but i can take the album and perform it stripped down mm-hmm. you know all of the songs are capable of being stripped down and, and performed in in a reinterpretation i guess you could you could you could call it like that mm-hmm. and that's actually what i'm doing with um i'm doing a record release show uh and i'm doing like a stripped down live show where it's just a four-piece band mm-hmm. and it's a it's a piano a bass guitar myself on guitar and 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 then a uh, percussionist, you know, yep. a, a dr- drum slash percussionist, and it's just it and it's not meant to recreate the album. It's going to be a different version of the record as performed live, you know, with with the limitations of of four instruments mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but anyhow, that that kind of tied into um, I think I think what you were saying, which is like somebody who's not necessarily a musician and can appreciate the bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. Um, can hopefully still find something in in the record that they appreciate because there's still a bare bones like chords voice mm-hmm. you know vocal melody i should say yeah um and 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 that that i try to do that for every single song i, mm-hmm. I wanted to make a record where it's all songs that can be that way yeah yeah i i've heard that before too the the that can be performed in any like like the combination of things where you have just the basic bones and the, and that's kind of how even music publishing is, is, is set up, you know, who wrote the melody, who wrote the, you know, like it's, it's that through line, those bones, they get you paid in publishing, you know, like it's, 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 it makes a lot of sense if you think about it that way. And I'm glad you said that because I've, I've, I've heard it a long time ago, but I never really applied it to anything. Um, but there's those songs like and Bob Marley, especially dude, listen to Bob Marley all the time. Uh, I don't listen to a lot of reggae, but I love Bob Marley and it's just, it's just universal. Like it's, it's, there's those things that just, they translate to, to all different styles. Like it can just be done. Like it's like a, um, like a fundamental or rudimentary kind of like a, um, like you're starting like when you you paint a house like it's you start with the base paint and then you add the color to it mm-hmm. right like but you could make it any color you want but you're still going to get the wall painted the wall is going to be covered with something um anyway it's a whole another analogy but do you do you know what yeah. i'm saying being someone who plays with poison the well you feel what i'm saying about some of those like the vocal lines and the the guitar lines that don't resolve like you think they're going to to the big major like chorus ending they go somewhere else and meander into different spots. And it's still sometimes like, God damn it, Jeff. Like I, I want you to go here (laughs) so bad, but I love that you did this. Like, and I begged him to come on the show, like, I don't know, eight times, but he keeps like, yeah, maybe, maybe in a month. Okay, cool. Nope. No, nothing. He's very reclusive that way, but I've always wanted to discuss it with him on here. Yeah, I don't know if he if he does a lot of podcasts. Honestly, I don't think I've don't ever think heard he ever him has. on a podcast. I don't yeah. think he ever has. I know Chris has been on a lot, uh, but but yeah. him and Ryan seemed like a, a little bit more reserved about that kind of thing. Yeah, Ryan is a phenomenal guitar player, oh, by the way. God, I, I, yes. I I cannot 
I cannot praise him enough, man, uh, for a, 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 like he is exceptionally gifted mm-hmm. at guitar. I love his playing. I love uh, the the way that he writes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have nothing but like the highest respect for that guy. Dude, we just talked uh, about way, Ryan oh, on the last episode <laughs> I did today. Well, <laughs> before it's this. funny because I, like I just realized I was like, wait, he also played on on the record. He did he did w- one guitar section on my on my album. What song? Um, on the song out of phase okay on on the it's track three mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. he because because oh so i i did it i'm not like really like a lead guitar player you mm-hmm. know like i know how to solo but uh you know i wouldn't like i'm not trying to go out there and like shred or anything yeah. like that but i wrote so i recorded the solo and i i swear to god every time i listen back to it i'm like this sounds like like one of those guitar center employee solos, right? Mm-hmm. Like where you come in and like some guys just like, <laughs> like doing like, like a bunch of and bands just, and shit, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I feel like I was a little, a little tasteful, but you know what I mean? Like I it, exactly it's, it had, it had, the, it had the guitar employee <laughs> vibe, you know? And I didn't really want the guitar employee vibe. So I hit up, I was like, yo, Ryan, like I'm not, this solo is like not happening on me. Like, do you, can you, like, do you have any ideas or whatever? And then he uh, recorded something and it was so, perfect like it was so simple mm-hmm. it was mostly just like a slide thing you yeah. know he just did like very basic like kind of like a slide thing uh very david gilmore mm-hmm. you know it had a it, it it's a it's a melodic thing so you can hum it back you know i'm not impressed by shredders most of the time you know i'm impressed by their ability yeah but yeah. like in terms of like being able to hum something back that like someone who could play a million notes in a second like i'm not impressed by that you know yeah. ryan always has melody in mind like me and he just took something where I was like trying to do some fucking bends and all this crazy shit. And he's just like, let me just write like simple, like slide. And I was like, this is perfect. That's exactly what the song needed. So, you know, I'm like praising Ryan. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, by the way, he's on the album. Yeah. Primax <laughs> on the album. I swear. We <laughs> I were, swear that was not intentional. Right before this, I had uh, uh, Justin Forrest from Caspian on. And um, we were talking about Poison Well and about Ryan, about how we did that tour with him with Portugal Man. And and his dad had passed and uh he was able to kind of get a lot of the gear he wanted to get kind of build his rig how he wanted it and just how amazing it was uh watching him play every night uh and brad was still playing with him then um and uh forget the guy's name from candiria uh bass player um mike mike Mike. yes yeah and they stole his bass right out of jerry's pizza in bakersfield someone came in ran grabbed one of his gnls and ran out the stairs and we all no. chased this guy and never caught him. Like the entire tour chased this guy. Uh, just grabbed it and ran and made it gone. We never saw it again. Um, oh, my God. Side note there. Like the nicest guy, too. Yeah. I, I love that dude. He's, and he was he's, still recovering like, from that accident. I think his back was still pretty messed up. Um, But my God, man, watching Ryan play every night and just him and I would just walk around talking, telling stories and stuff, going to music shops and like. It was a B market tour, so like there was all sorts of like mom pop music shops, and just looking at guitars and talking about life and and uh, you know what I'm talking about. You know Primac pretty well, like he, yeah, just a yeah. good human being. Everybody in that band's amazing human beings, yourself included. Like uh, just good people. And anyway, um, but yeah, that that resolution of melody is not always there and i love that they don't give me what i want every time because it's just you have to like expand you can't just live in the safe zone and they're the one band that just teaches me that every time and uh i love that about them 
and uh um anyways but i'm i'm just i'm so stoked to catch up with you but also to hear this other side of you that i didn't know and now so many more things make sense to me like i feel like so many questions have been answered not necessarily questions but like things i would have been curious about have been answered just knowing all this more about you with the chess and the mathematics and science background and the uh i didn't know you had come over from ukraine like i i didn't know any of these things all i knew i got a crazy there's crazy a sweet story, there's a sweet sweet young man in delia's jeans uh <laughs> playing hardcore music that i was then told had started a life once lost which is one of my favorite bands um shout out to bob meadows uh all these things are just like Vadim did that and this and this and that like what like you need to write a book dude this story is fantastic like the <laughs> toured the world in a boys choir like what like I didn't know any of these things about you any of them I love that about this the discovery like we just like freaking an hour and a half of discovery about my friend Vadim who I haven't seen in 20 years but we always keep in touch and like, or talking with each other and stuff like none of this stuff comes up. And now I've just had so many things opened up to me in my eyes. As, like, I want to go listen to this record again. Now, after talking about all this, I'll probably put it on here at the studio while I finish up here tonight. Cause I, uh, yeah, it's just a wonderful, wonderful record. Like there's so much just, thoughtfulness to it like it's just like i said it's just like a handmade like when someone hands it to you you're like this is special before you even open the open the box like you can feel the weight and you can feel the 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 hours of work craftsmanship it's craftsmanship it's wonderful i'm so excited for you thank you i'm thank so you so much and thank this. you for having me on man like i mean you know, you said writing a book, but it's like it's so much more fun to have a back and forth. That's where true. I can just I could just share it in real time now. You yeah, know, it's, it's great. We're gonna have to do so, a part two, yeah, you, man. Like you've allowed me to tell, yeah, part of my story. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely more. The <laughs> part like, that people don't know. I, we talked about chess for 45 minutes, and I loved every second of it because I don't <laughs> know anything about it. I'm learning. It wasn't like tell me about this and this this. It's like let's talk about something that means something to you. you you know, we're going to have to do a, we're going to have to do a, a, a chess, a chess class online. Dude, that'd be awesome. I would totally be down for that because I have never played. You know, and I my actually, kids auctioned, would probably I actually auctioned those off. Really? Uh, when I was raising, when I was, ra I raised some funds for, for the record uh -huh. when I initially launched it. And one of my perks was you can buy a chess lesson, you know, for me. Yeah. And, and a bunch of people got them. And so like, actually some of them haven't even reclaimed them. So I feel like oh, if man. you, you're owed for would, somebody's unclaimed chess <laughs> lesson. <laughs> I would love that just to even have a basic understanding that I could play with my kids and like, or with, or with my wife or somebody like where I could start to like understand it and, and figure out why so many people love it. And it's been around for so long. There's obviously a reason and hearing you talk about it with that much passion really makes it interesting to me, you know? Um, we'll have to do that, Dewey. Dude, sounds awesome. 
Well, man, I really appreciate the time, Vadim. This has been great catching up, and and uh, people need to check out this record, dude. It's it's so good, and I'll put links to all of it in the the show notes, and and um, I'll talk about it in the intro like I usually do. Um, but dude, I'm so happy for you to have such an amazing piece of music, but also, you know, now everyone knows so much more about you, you know, they can go yeah, check out the bands, so they can go on. check out all these things, but I think people will learn a lot about you on this episode. So I appreciate it. Yeah. My friend. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, brother. Well, we'll talk soon. Okay. Enjoy the Absolutely. rest of yeah. your evening. Thank you so much for having me on. Of yeah. course. Do we send me your address? We'll do. I'm going to send you a record. Oh. Okay. Send me your address. Awesome. Yeah. I'll text you I, after this. You have a record player? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I got to ask, you know, some people don't collect physical, physical. I don't keep uh, it out products, you know? everywhere. I put I pull it out when I listen to it because my son messes with it and it drives me nuts. But I do have it and I do listen to it. So, okay. Would well, you prefer a CD? I would prefer or vinyl. Or you prefer sure. record? I would love to hear this on vinyl. Okay. You got it. All right, my friend. You got it. Send me, send me your address. Will do. Talk soon, buddy. All right. So good. So good to see you, man. You too. Much love. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with my friend Vadim Tabor. Uh, like I said, so many bands, A Life Once Lost, This Day Forward, Poison the Well, and now his solo record, which is absolutely stunning. I know I, I talk about it a lot in the episode, how much I love this record, but it is absolutely fantastic. So uh, go type in Vadim Tabor and Spotify, save it, follow it, whatever you have to do. While you're there, go ahead and give us a rating. Uh, if you're on Spotify, if you're listening on Apple Music, you can give us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. I really appreciate that. Uh, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. I know my voice sounds a little weird. I've been dealing with insane allergies. Trying to breathe <laughs> has been difficult. So you hear me breathing really heavy. It's because the allergies are, are just destroying me. So um, apologies for that. But I wanted to get this episode out to you and I did not want to let it delay. Uh, so we'll push through it. I know you guys don't don't uh, sign in here to listen to me talk, but um, I like to give you an intro and an outro. So uh, thank you so much for listening week after week. Thanks again to Vadim for coming on. Check out Vadim's solo record. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, such a good guy. Um, go give him a follow on socials. Watch him with Poison the Well when they come back. Just so much to so much to do with Vadim. Uh, it's awesome. Hit him up for for tutoring. Hit him up for chess lessons. I am fascinated by that still. I know nothing about chess, so I'm, I I love when someone knows so much about something I don't because it makes it for a real interesting conversation. So uh, I'm going to stop rambling uh, like a crazy person here. These allergies are killing me, so I'm going to get out of here. But thank you guys so much. Thanks to Vadim. Go check his solo record out. And as always, we'll see you on the radio.
Hey, you. Did you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2Z. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.